The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, many of our human potential leaders are telling us that fear is our biggest problem. Fear as is opposed to love, as and those are continue, considered to be two opposite extremes on the poles uh, that were the continuum in between, where we have love on one end and fear on the other. Uh, but I disagree. I don't think our biggest problem is fear. I think it's shame. Shame defines us deep down in the recesses of our sense of ourselves. It informs us, in fact, of our identity. It makes our choices for us and it interacts with others through us. It dictates what we repress and what we accept. In fact, it is shame that is the ruler of our lives, basically. And the truth is, we, if we really knew who we truly are, shame would simply dissolve. But we live in a world in which to not feel shame is to not fit in. We live in a world in which our children shame each other into compliance with the social agenda. We live in a world in which shame, at least a part of how we choose our careers, our mates, our lives, and it's off too often, as I said, the ruler of our lives. So today we're going to be talking about shame and how we can free ourselves from it, along with introducing Oprah's next Super Soul Sunday with a clip of her interview with best-selling author and religious historian Karen Armstrong. So I'm looking forward to that. I really love Karen Armstrong's work. So... Okay, so why is shame a bigger problem than fear? Well, as I said, shame creates fear. Well, how does that happen? First, what we need to understand is that shame is all about our identity. And when I say identity, I am not talking about the authentic self, okay? That, I need to be real clear about The authentic self is the deepest recesses, the deepest, innermost, essential beingness of who we are. I even go so far as to call it a divine self. Uh, but if you're using psychological terms only, you can, it's, it's the authentic self. It is the realest, truest, essential part of who you are. And we can get to it. Most of our spiritual leaders are not really telling us how we get to it. They're only telling us that we can. And it's been confusing as I talk with people as to how they can do that. And, and, uh, we can talk a little bit about that today. And as a matter of fact, we will. But uh, the idea is also that um, on the other side, if we have identity, identity has to do with how we fit in, how we define ourselves according to our culture. Our, and our culture starts first with our families of origin. So when we're growing up, we look, we look for mirrors everywhere. We're looking everywhere for mirrors to say, now, who am I this time? 
Who am I? If you don't believe in reincarnation, who am I? And uh, we, we are saying, okay, world, tell me who I am. I'm looking for you to tell me who I am. I'm looking for you to, to uh, show me my mirror. And so as an infant, we look into the faces of our caregivers and we, we see whatever's in there. We see whatever judgments they have of us. They, we see whatever depressions they carry. We see whatever happiness and, and spirituality they carry. We have no words, and all we have is that intuitive power to sort of watch and see what's going on around us. The only problem is we're, we look at that, what we see, as a mirror. So, and, and most of us, because we need attachment, when we get to around the age of toddlerhood, we're already starting to conform to the wishes of our parents. Why? Because we need them desperately and we know that. We have an innate and primal fear of abandonment that says we must have these people in our lives else we die. And so we don't want to die. And so what we do is we identify with whatever it is, whatever um, – nuance of meaning, whatever is floating around in the house that hasn't been absorbed into the psyche and integrated into the wholeness of the parents. So whatever is not absorbed into our psyches, into our wholeness, is sort of floating around us. And little children pick that up just like a sponge, just slurp that stuff right up, and then they identify with it. They define themselves by it. So if mom and dad are rushed for time all the time and they feel that I'm sort of in the way because they've got so much to do, then I pick that up as I'm in the way. That's how I define myself. I'm in the way. I am in the way. And what does that mean? Well, then I should be ashamed of myself when I get in the way. So you see how shame is already beginning to get incorporated into the picture. Why? Because bottom line, under all of that, We live in a world which is um, orchestrated by what's called the battle between good and evil. We live in a world in which there's good and there's evil. And there's sort of some gradations between on near the poles on either side, but not much in the middle. And so we live out that paradigm, am I good, am I bad, am I good, am I bad, am I good, am I bad? And we label all the rest of our uh, life accordingly, our, the food we eat, the taxes we pay, the cars we drive, the, the way we look, the way we walk, the way we talk, the lovers we've had, all of it is categorized into one of those two categories, either good or bad. And when it's bad, there's shame attached, and very often when it's good, there's also shame attached because we're trying not to be bad. Okay? So that's how identities form, and that's a very short, brief explanation of, of that. But, it, but, but the idea is that they are not the genuine us. We are not our identities. Our identities are coping mechanisms that we contrived to, tr- to stay alive, to stay here. And they're very often based in... Shame, no shame. Shame, no shame. Shame, no shame. Trying very hard to to not be a part of shame or to to identify with shame. So here's how that might work. If I am, for example, a bully, 
uh, and that's my role. You know, in my book, Restoring My Soul, a workbook for finding and living the authentic self, we talked about the ver- some various roles that we could play. They don't encapsulate every possible role on the planet, but they do give us some very generic terms for some ways that we can interact with life and with the world that have to do with uh, uh, identity. So one of those is the bully. Uh, and so the bully might grow up in a home where to be a bully is how he or she survives. And uh, to, so um, it might work this way. Daddy or mom might be a bully, and so I have to become a bully in order to survive, or at least in order to immolate them enough to feel that I'm worth something, and that is also my survival technique. Um, I might grow up in a home where I'm, I'm allowed to get away with all kinds of things, and therefore I can bully my parents, and therefore I become a bully. Um, I feel a certain, certain shame about that because um, I'm, I know deep down inside that this is kind of backwards, that I'm really not supposed to be getting them to do everything I want them to do. Um, that's really not how it's supposed to work, but I'm doing it. So I feel this sense of shame, but I have to keep doing it because that's how I'll get what I need. And if and if they're letting me do it, there must be something rightish about that. Or maybe they're just really stupid. And that's how uh, often a bully will think, well, my parents are just stupid. They let me get away with all kinds of things. Um, and so I, I don't have any respect for them. And therefore, I transfer that onto myself as well. And I have no respect for myself. So there's all kinds of ways that shame can filter into that. And we could write just a whole book about that whole thing in fact i have told some of those stories in my upcoming book which is called inhabiting heaven now um and it is it has to do with uh how we develop some of these roles that we develop and how shame is invested in those roles and it tells us how do we get beyond that but the primary premise of that book and of our talk today and our talk last week is all about how we got shame in the first place Okay, and we're going to be talking about that in the next segment. But for right now, I want to I want to finish saying that we can run from shame in in terms of the victim identity. So the victim identity is I'm always fighting City Hall. It always wins. Everything's always bigger than me. I can't live my life. Somebody else has to take responsibility. That's sort of like the victim mantra that I've just said. And and, and that is sort of codes into the responsibility factor, which codes into Shame. So responsibility means I'm good if I'm responsible and I'm bad if I'm not. But I can't be responsible because if I am, somehow that means that other people get hurt or it means that I get hurt or something like that. So I just choose to become the victim because, and I'm not consciously choosing that. It's an unconscious choice. But I choose to become the victim and therefore I live out that identity. But in the process, what I'm doing is running from the shame that says, if I'm responsible, then I might screw it up somehow, so therefore I won't do that. i just be the victim and somebody else will have to be responsible. That's why it's so easy for the victim to say it's your fault. You're to blame. It's, you know, it's on you. Okay, so uh, the scapegoat that's also in my book, Restoring My Soul, that's a, a role where we sacrifice ourselves for others, striving always to be good and kind and wonderful and saintly and, and, uh, and in the process end up resenting a lot of people and a lot of things that we've done. But the scapegoat is also running from shame because there's an identity way down deep inside that says I'm not worth much. Therefore, if I try really, really hard to be really, really good, then I'll be worth something. That's all about shame. Um, 
so the people pleaser, it's all about shame. I'm trying to please you so you won't shame me. When I was eight years old, I quit sucking my thumb because my siblings uh, ridiculed me for sucking my thumb. I had this habit of going to sleep and sticking my thumb in my mouth when I was taking a nap and they saw me and they made fun of me. And I remember very clearly the day I made the decision not to suck my thumb anymore because I was so tired of them making fun of me. Now, you know, you could say, well, that was a good thing because at least you're not sucking your thumb at 61 years old, right? But <laughs> but no, uh, that's that was what we typically think in the same way that we think that abuse works, right? I slapped him around. He quit doing what I didn't want him to do anymore, right? So it worked, right? No. Um, it only made the child or the whomever I abused believe that I was bigger and badder than them. And that's what, uh, that's what shame does. It says, well, I'm worthless. And maybe if I'm, if I can do this thing, then I'll be worth something. So it's a bargain with a reality that surrounds us and the reality that surrounds every one of us on this planet. Every one of us on this planet is shame because we shame each other constantly and we shame ourselves constantly we look in the mirror and we look through other people's eyes and we go yeah that doesn't look really good how do we know what they're going to look how do we know that we're pretending that we know what they whoever they are the great amorphous they out there think of how we're dressed today and um so so the idea is that um we're we're talking about how we live our lives, how we get up in the morning. Sometimes we start feeling tension the minute we wake up in the morning thinking, oh, i got to hurry. I won't be late. I don't want to be late. Why don't I want to be late? Well, you know, sometimes I don't want to be late because I might get in trouble with the boss, meaning that I'll get written up or have serious consequences for being late. Other times it's because I don't want anybody to know I'm late because if I'm late, then, you know, people will think less of me. Still other times, I heard somebody saying this just yesterday, that they had to, they were late getting to work because of traffic, and they ran upstairs to park their car outside, ran upstairs to clock in, and then ran back down the stairs to park their car because they, they were afraid they were going to be late on the clock and lose some money. Okay, yes, I agree. There's money lost there, but I suspect that that kind of energy also comes from some kind of push from shame that says, I don't want anybody to know I'm late. So the consequences that we orchestrate very often have to do with uh, shame, unfortunately, instead of just being a consequence. You know, we've talked about this before on the show, but like, for example, if a child runs outside in his socks, right? You know, the parent starts yelling and saying, why are you doing that? I've told you not to do that. How many times have I told you not to do that? Now, you just are so, you're so bad or whatever they say to them about that. The tone of voice, the anger, the look in their eyes says, be ashamed of yourself. And the child is picking up that that um, that nonverbal language that's being spoken, and shaming himself or herself, or feeling rebellious against the parent, so that they won't have to feel the shame. Somewhere in between those two is also possible. But but if the parent were to say, you know what, you did it again. You went outside in your socks. So here's what I'm going to do. I want you to go wash your socks. I want you to take care of this now. Since you're the one that's causing the problem, I want you to fix it. That would be a, a, a realistic and logical consequence for what the child did. Now the child is learning that, oh, there's a connection between my behavior and what, you know, what I might have to do about it. Okay, that's great. That's not shaming. But so much of what we do and say and think is all about shame. So when we, when we basically are running our lives from the, from the, 
from that deep, awful feeling of shame, which, by the way, it is the lowest feeling on the ladder. There is no feeling below shame. There is nothing below shame. Shame is the lowest. So when we, in terms of its vibrational energy, in terms of its um, sense of ourselves as worthless, in terms of its power to overcome and overwhelm us, it's the bottom line. So what we want to do is find a way to free ourselves from it, but we don't really know how to do that because our world is so sticky and gummy and gooey with it that we everywhere we go, it just sticks to us. And we don't know how to get it off of us, and we don't know how to stop sticking to the walls of it when we, when we encounter it. So it, it, it is a constant. It is a constant in our lives. And we usually don't even know it. We don't know all the myriad ways in which we are motivated by shame. So how then can we possibly ever get out from underneath it? Well, you know, it it isn't going to be done by saying no to shame. Shaming ourselves for having shame, that's not going to (laughs) work. So uh, I want to be real clear about that. We have the idea of of an identity is the issue here. Guilt, as we said several times before in several of the shows, guilt is I have done something bad. Shame is I am bad. Or if I think I'm good, then shame is I don't want to feel like a bad person, so I'm going to be good. So, so many people who motivate themselves to do good deeds out of guilt are running from that shame. So, so when I've asked them, I do what's called uh, prime factoring in my counseling practice. And one of the things I'll do is I'll say, well, so, okay, what happens then? And what happens then? And what happens then? And what happens then? Until we get down to the bottom line of, oh, this is it. This is the bottom line. And uh, so, so many times, the, uh, so they didn't do something like go to church or go take care of somebody, something that they were supposed to go take care of. And and they thought they were supposed to go take care of. And so I'm asking them, okay, so what happens if you don't do that? Well, I feel bad. Well, what is bad? Describe bad. Well, you know, guilty. I feel guilty. Okay, well, what does that mean? What You know, when you get down to feeling guilty, what happens then? Well, then I have to go do something about it. Then I have to either go apologize or I have to um, go fix what I didn't do or something. I ha- I'm compelled to go, to go fix this. Well, what if you didn't? What would happen then? Well, then I'd feel horrible. What is that horrible feeling? Well, when we get down to the bottom line, guess what? It's shame. So, you know, um, Brene Brown has written several books. She's a researcher on shame, and she's the author of several books that discuss her research. And I love her work, and I love so much about what she says. But on this one point, I disagree. So, Brene, if you're listening, I disagree with this point. I hope you'll research it. Um, I don't think that that guilt is okay. I don't think that guilt is okay to say, well, guilt can kind of motivate us to stop doing bad stuff. I think the very idea that we have bad stuff is the problem because we identify with bad or good. And and I'm going to say some more about that. But guilt always leads to shame. Guilt always leads to shame. Even if I correct my actions, I correct my actions because I don't want to feel shame. Okay? So guilt and shame, while they are different in their uh, actual, um, how they look and feel, they, they always lead to the same place. Guilt leads to shame. Shame leads to shame. So um, so I want to be real clear about that. When we talk about guilt, I am not ever going to tell you that it's okay to feel guilty. And I'm not saying it's not okay to feel guilty either. I'm not going to shame you into not feeling guilty. But I am saying that guilt is a part of the shame cycle. Okay? So 
Uh, we're going to come back to this, and this is a difficult topic to talk about, but I think it's extremely important because it is the primary barrier to our being able to live an authentic life. So we're going to come back in just a few minutes and talk some more about how we can rid ourselves of shame. Stay tuned. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Healing from the Heart is the show that focuses on freeing the heart by releasing the hidden energies that keep it from doing what the heart was created to do, give and receive love. Every week, your host, Chris Chimbers, an energetic healing practitioner, will explore different aspects of his work, interview leading healers, respond to listeners' questions, and even do some live sessions on air. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, for Healing from the Heart on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers a a study of all these religions Doctorates, masters, ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internships, 
NBCC-approved continuing education and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, holistic theology, offering as terminal degrees both a Th.D. and a Ph.D., holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality, and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies of the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. AIHT is a real educational program where you get a real learning experience and a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. Right now, we're running a special program in which if you email in before July 1st, you can get a free course. Just email beverlylove at aiht.edu and put win a free course in the subject line. If your letter is drawn, you'll win a free course in which you can try out the education you can receive at AIHT. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325 to learn how to fulfill your deepest longings for a fulfilling career serving others using your own unique gift. And today we're talking about how we can uh, overcome shame. And uh, I want to be really clear that, as I said at the beginning, we're not going to shame people into getting rid of shame. So this is not a contest about whether or not who's got the most shame. Uh, I think so many times when uh, we are involved in the new thought of the human potential movement, there's so much about shaming each other into um, into compliance with the sort of order of the day, very much like religions do, that movement can say, well, you're just living in fear. You need to stop living in fear and start living in love. And, of course, there's no how-to to that, so we don't really, really quite know how we're supposed to do it. But, yeah, you're supposed to do it. And that just shames us. Not knowing how to do what we are supposed to do makes us feel shame. So this is not what this show is about. This show is not going to say, you should now stop feeling shame. This show is about how we can get past it. But before we can do that, first we have understood that we identify with shame and that it becomes a part and parcel of what motivates our daily living activities. What we don't know is why we have shame on planet Earth in the first place. And as you know, uh, if you've been listening to this show at all, you know that I believe that duality is our primary problem here. We believe that we're separate from the divine and so being we are... Are, are bad and the divine is good and the divine lives off in some rarefied world where everything is bliss and wonder and we live down here in this world of hell where we suffer and you know occasionally get to laugh a little bit and have some fun but uh, it, it, you know so that paradigm has been an archetypal energy in the back of our collective psyche that has informed us of who we are it, it has given us a collective identity so that we believe on a real baseline, foundational level that we are bad people striving to be good. And if you try to tell somebody that's not true, just watch them fight with you, argue with you. How about how really, no, you can't be saying that. We're, you know, how can you take good and bad away from us? If you take that away from us, who are we? And that is the primary question of the day. Who are you without your shame? 
Who am I without my shame? Who are we if we can't rely on good and evil to inform us of who we are? If you take that paradigm out of the picture entirely, who are we? And that is when we get down to a level of spirituality that is very informative of that essential beingness that we all are. If you take good and bad out of the picture, what is left? Your beingness, my beingness, my essential core. Where there is no paradigm about good and evil, there is no paradigm about how we should live and how things ought to be, and that's not in there. If you've ever meditated and gotten down for that peaceful core, that center where, where you can are, are downloaded information from the cosmos, you know, where you can feel the hum of planet Earth revolving on its axis, where you feel your deepest essence that's down below your bones, down below the quarks. If you've gotten there, you know there's no shame there. You know there's no goodness there or evil. You know, a lot of, uh, in, all of us in the um, human potential movement talk frequently about, well, there's no such thing as evil. But what we don't say is there's no such thing as good either. There isn't. There's no such thing as good either. Because that goodness is defined by its alternative to badness. Goodness is you're not bad. I mean, think about it. You can have somebody who just does... Okay, you know, they're not out there being Mother Teresa. They're not, you know, giving lots of money philanthropically. They're not uh, doing a whole lot for the world. But basically, they're, they're kind of kind, and they're, they're nice to people, and they're okay. And, and uh, you know, you might describe this person as a good person. Well, you know, I know Joe. You know, if you want to get your tires fixed, go see Joe. He's a good man. That's what we say to each other, isn't it? All day, every day we say that. Go see Joe. He's a good man. And what do we mean by that? What we mean by that is so far, Joe has not done anything that convinces us that he's a bad man. So far, Joe's okay. But if Joe does something that we consider to be bad, oh, woe unto Joe. Well, we're not sending any more people to his tire store, right? Because now Joe's a bad guy. That's how it flips on a dime. And, of course, the dime is... Sometimes a quarter and sometimes a whole dollar. But, you know, whatever it is that we've done, said, thought defines us and our worth as people. Um, but when you get to the root language of the Bible, when you get to the root language of the Bible, good and bad are not there. In fact, Yahweh defines himself as the one who does both good and evil. Yeah, that's right. It's in the Bible. It's in Isaiah. So, and that we talk about that in the upcoming book, uh, Inhabiting Having Now. And, and uh, when we get to the end time, supposed end time in the book of Revelation, the garments that we as people wear are called worthy. How is that? How is that if we have, you know, did we do a lot of good stuff? <laughs> what got us there? You know, so far in the stories that you see before that point where the garments are called worthy, yeah, not so much good. Yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of evil going on there. Seems to be. But what's really happening in that book, and I've written a whole other book about this that I hope to get published eventually as well, but uh, what's happening in that book is a psychological um, and spiritual, psycho-spiritual drama is playing out on the stage of our metaphors 
whereby we are seeing the differentiation between the various archetypes in our collective psyche. The dragon is just an archetype, you know, and there's three. There's the dragon, the beast, and, and, uh, and the mask and costume or the identity. That's us. That's how we're defining ourselves according to the duality trans state that started in the very beginning of time when we ate of the metaphorical tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? If we had not eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we would have eaten of the tree of life and there would have been no good and evil. It's a thought. Charles Fillmore tells us that the trees in the Garden of Eden were thoughts, they're metaphors for thoughts. They're nerves. They go up just like, you know, if you, they, if you look at them, they, trees, they look a little bit like nerve endings, don't they? Well, that's what uh, Charles Fillmore says they are. They are thoughts. And uh, those two thoughts that were planted in the Garden of Eden, which is our consciousness of ourselves as divine beings, were possibilities. We could choose one or the other. And we chose to have this journey where we walk through duality in order to fully unite form with forms and because we've got to ask all the questions about what it means to be a dualistic person, to be what we think of as separate from the divine. We've got to experience all of that before we can be fully informed that, nope, nope, we're not separate from the divine. We are divine. We are all divine beings and there never has been any separation. We've just been living out this drama in a hypnotic trance state. And when we get there, we will see that we've been worthy all along. Like I said last week, one of the texts in, in the Bible that we quote very often in our traditional uh, understanding of it is Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth. We are already the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He did not say you could be, you can become that. One day you'll make it there, keep trying. He didn't say any of that. He said you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And he was just talking to the populace. He was not talking to his disciples. So if that's really true, then we are the salt of the world, salt of the earth and the light of the world. In um, Taoism, there is no such thing as good and evil. In uh, Buddhism, they do talk about good and evil, but you can get to a place inside yourself that's already there where that struggle doesn't exist. So... Um, in several of our world religions, you can find that there's not a good evil base. Um, Zoroastrianism doesn't even have uh, that whole paradigm. Um, um, there are several that don't. And so when we talk about the paradigm of good and evil, we're talking about something that we thought up to live into in order to accomplish something else. Why would we need to think that up to accomplish something else? Well, because... We needed to go through this whole thing and ask every question so we could get to the other side of it. And finally, once and for all, for the universe, have create form that is also formless. Once upon a time, the world was formless and void. The universe was formless and void. And then form became a part of the world. Form now has to ask all the questions relevant to form. And then form and formlessness can be united fully in their truth. I mean, the truth is there is no separation between form and formlessness. We now know from quantum physics that every form is also formless. But as time goes by, we're going to understand that on a psychic and a spiritual level as well. So, so okay, so here's the thing. Shame came from that. If we had no construct of good or evil, we would have no shame. 
Now, I can hear you all out there screaming, going, wait just a doggone minute. If you take all these rules away from us, the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket, right? Wrong. There is a deeper essence to who we are that's not informed about who it is by the rules and the codes of our society. That deeper essence can come forth and live. And when it does, we won't need rules and codes anymore. Okay? So, so many of our codes, as I said last week, don't have anything to do with righteous rules anyway. They're things like, don't be selfish, feel guilty, it's good for you, there's a right and a wrong, you ought to be ashamed. What, what good does it do to uh, try to encounter the world from your real self? People put you down anyway. Don't feel your desires, don't feel your emotions, it's a waste of time. Those things. Be loyal to du- first to duty. Don't get power, don't be empowered. People are going to think you're the B word. The culture is right. These are the codes we live by. Not only that, but they tell us how to dress, how to walk, how to talk, how to blow our nose, how to comb our hair, how to sit on the toilet, everything. We are informed as to how to live our lives by shame. Because shame comes up and says, oh, they wouldn't like that. Don't do it that way. That they is always there in our heads telling us what to do. And when it does, we do it. Because we're afraid that if we don't, we'll feel shame. And shame is awful. We don't want to feel it. So the truth is, we wouldn't have to feel it if we could just be that deepest essence of who we are. So when I ask the question, who would you be if you did not have the evil, good evil paradigm? Who would you be without your shame? What I'm saying, the answer to that question is, is you would be you. You would finally, at long last... Absolutely be who you are as an authentic being, as, a, as the divine core of that authentic being. That's who you would be. That's who I would be. But we don't live that way, do we? And so it's really hard for us to, to put ourselves in that head. So when we, when we live our lives and, and, and we encounter other people, we think, well, you know, that's nice in, in its philosophical overtones and all that, but, you know, don't ask me to live that way because who the heck can? Who can live in a way that says, you know, I, I'm not going to feel shame today at all. I'm not going to let anybody tell me how I should be and who I, how, how, how I should act, how I should sit on the toilet, how I should do all these things. I can't have that. I, I, I can't live without that in my head. Well, as Brene Brown does say, and I do agree with this part of her work, it, it, she says it takes courage. It takes enormous courage. You know, people tell me all the time, you know, I'll be, we'll be talking about what that would be like to make a different choice than the one they've been making, one that's more authentic. And they'll say, yeah, but that's hard. And I'll say, yes, it is. This will be the hardest thing you ever do. This journey to the authentic self is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. And yet, the reward is so powerful and so clear. When you've made affective, what I call affective or emotional contact, contact excuse me, with your authentic self, you want more of it and you want more of it and more of it and more of it because it is inalterable peace. The only thing that alters it is when we stop being there with it. It is always in peace. There's a part of us that is always in peace. There's a part of us that has never been wounded. Hello? I said never been wounded. It's the roots of the tree where things can happen in the tree above ground, but nothing's really hurting the roots. And so that part of us is who we are. 
when we are not living in the paradigm of good and evil, living in the paradigm, therefore, of shame. That's who we are. And we're going to talk in the next segment about how to get there. And not only are we going to talk about that, but we're going to be talking about Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday interview with Karen Armstrong, which I'm really looking forward to. So you want to stay tuned for that? We'll be back in just a minute. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Porosik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you living your happy life? Are you looking for something more fulfilling? Tune in every week for Living the Shift, our evolution of mind, body, and spirit with your host, Angela Coulter. The worldwide economy has changed the way that we view and live a traditional happy life. The spiritual and metaphysical world does provide some guidelines, but many of us have no real understanding of these and what they can do. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. In times of personal transformation and growth, sometimes you need assistance to help set you on the right path. Angela Bushman provides that assistance. Tune in each week for her show, Shine Your Light. With Angela's guidance, you can identify and overcome your fears, learn to let go, and share the joy of authentic living. Angela leads by example and invites you to join her on this path of discovery. Shine Your Light with Angela Bushman is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about how we can rid ourselves of shame. And why we need to talk about this difficult subject is because shame is the primary barrier between us and our authenticity. It is bigger and more powerful than any other issue that can prevent us from being authentic. As a matter of fact, when it comes right down to it, it's the only thing that prevents us from being authentic. We bargain with it. We can, you know, have all kinds of sort of mental games we play about it, but the bottom line is shame. So that's why it's important for us to just go right ahead and talk about it. 
Um, and we said in the in the earliest segment that shame w- w- could become a part of our identity, how we sort of negotiate our survival with the world. And it isn't who we really are. There is nothing inside of us, deep down in our core, that is about shame. In fact, there is nothing deep down in our core that even recognizes a good evil paradigm that would promote shame. So... Uh, we said last week that when Jesus was talking on the Sermon on the Mount, and the reason I'm using a Western text is not so because um, that's the only one or anything like that, but rather because it's one that people use to continue to push shame and to push this good evil kind of paradigm. Um, what what he was saying when he said be righteous was the word righteousness. If you break it down to its root, root meaning, means only Christ truly. Only Christ truly. So that could also be only Buddha truly, only Brahman truly, only peace truly, only only the essence of who you are truly. That's what righteousness actually is. It's not good and bad. It has nothing to do with good and bad. Those terms can't even be defined outside of a cultural uh, identification. So uh, the truth is that all condemnation which is what shame is all about, all condemnation is based entirely on our understanding of our codes, codes that are deep inside of our archetypal memories. But we suspend condemnation if we live by only Christ truly, only Buddha truly, only essence truly, only who you are deep down in your divine self truly. But how do we get there? Now, here's the answer to the primary question we began to ask today, which was, how are you going to get rid of shame? One word, compassion. Compassion is how we stop relying on shame to dictate our lives. Because that's what it is. It is a reliance. We are leaning against shame as if it could guide us into living a life that keeps us alive, keeps us connected to other people. But when we get right down to really connecting to other people, what we do when you really want to connect to somebody is you share some shameful experience and we all laugh together. Think about it. (laughs) You get past shame to connect. Real connection is about getting past shame. You uh, You don't get to real connection when it's about... Um, trying to please the other person or make sure that they understand us or make sure that they don't misunderstand our conscious intent, which might be very different from our unconscious intent. So compassion. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like um, truly understanding yourself. That's got to be primary. When we think about compassion, we always tend to think about it first in terms of how we're going to treat other people. But really, compassion is first about how you are treating yourself, how you are being with yourself, how you are present with yourself in your everydays. When you feel that squeegee feeling going on inside of you that kind of feels tension in the middle of your chest bone, that kind of just says, oh my God, I'm going to screw this up, or what are they thinking, or oh, I just can't stand, I'm not, gonna, I'm gonna, not going in there, they're going to laugh at me. That feeling... It will dictate your actions unless you're courageous enough to say, you know what, I'm going to take care of me here. I'm going to take care of me here. I'm going to do what I need to do that makes me feel alive and free 
and whole and loved. That's what I'm going to do. And it will take some experimentation and some work trying to get to that original feeling so we can connect with it in the first place. And restoring my soul helps you get to that original place. But it will take some work to get there. But once you get there, it's like, okay, I know what to do now. Now, every time shame comes up, I'm going to give it compassion. And speaking of of compassion, uh, on the Oprah show coming up this Sunday, she's going to be interviewing um, Karen Armstrong. She's going to sit down with this best-selling author and former Catholic nun, world-renowned religious scholar, to discuss her memoir, The Spiral Staircase. Armstrong discusses the details of her fascinating spiritual journey which began when she joined the convent at a tender age of 17. Hoping to forge a deep connection to God, her inspiration was met with harsh disillusionment. She says she was deeply unhappy as a nun and couldn't even pray. Seven years later, she left the convent feeling like a failure with her future in question. She avoided all organized religion for more than a decade and then she returned to the subject years later as a writer and a scholar after experiencing an awakening while on assignment in Jerusalem. Today, she is one of the world's most sought-after speakers on the subject of religion. The author of 21 books, she made headlines with her best-selling A History of God. In 2008, she won the TED Prize, awarded to extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary individuals with creative um, and bold visions to spark global change, and created Charter for Compassion a cooperative effort to restore not only compassionate thinking, but more importantly, compassionate action to the center of religious moral and moral and political life. She believes compassion is the unifying principle of all religions, which she summed up in the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So Karen Armstrong is also talking about our topic of compassion today. Here's that clip. Super Soul Sunday is one of your favorite shows on OWN, mine too, because it allows me to introduce you to people like this, provocative, wildly influential, and world-renowned. How did this former nun go from rock bottom to one of the foremost religious scholars on the planet? We all have things we have to recover from. She's going to inspire you, Karen Armstrong. I love that. Emmy-nominated Super Soul Sunday, all new this Sunday, 11 a.m., 10 Central. 11 a.m., 10 Central. Do not miss it. I watch the show religiously, uh, no pun intended. Every Sunday I watch it, and it is always inspiring and always gives me a nugget of a gift that I can take with me for the rest of the week. So tune in this coming Sunday for Karen Armstrong. Okay, so we were talking about compassion as as, uh, uh, Armstrong has started, as we said, the Charter for Compassion. We were talking about personal compassion. So what does that look like? Personal compassion looks like being able to look at yourself and, and, and feel compassion for yourself, for your journey. And what does compassion do? It offers all of those other words that we want to talk about. Forgiveness, fearlessness, hope, sustenance. That's what compassion offers. It offers us support for us, not criticism but support. Most of the time, our interactions with ourselves are all about criticism. Most of the time, we're saying, um, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. You're doing it all wrong. You are failing. You're going to be a failure. You screwed up. You're so stupid. How could you do that? 
Why can't you get it right? That's how we talk to ourselves. That's how we talk to ourselves. And the rest of the time, we're talking to other people. So, so to turn that around, we have to begin to talk to ourselves in that compassionate voice. And that means to feel that compassion. So I talk to people who say, you know, I got on my pity pot this week. I, I've been feeling all sorry for myself. And, you know, I just can't seem to get off of it. It just, I just been thinking about that X, Y, and Z. And it just makes me feel so sorry for myself. And that, that's a criticism. They're saying, I'm feeling some sadness for some things that I went through, but I can't call it sadness. No, I've got to shame myself and say to myself that this is just pity pot. Okay, now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we can't exaggerate our emotions sometimes, but even that, there's a reason behind that, and we can have compassion on ourselves even for that. So, you know, understanding why we do what we do is a big part of it. Just like when we come to understand why a person that we know and love but who has hurt us did what they did, we have a little more compassion for them and we can understand a little bit better and maybe we can interact with them in a whole different way that helps both them and us to, to get to a new place. So this idea of compassion for yourself has to do not with some kind of frou-frou, oh, just love yourself kind of thing. It's real. It's, it's depth understanding of who you are. It's going, okay, well, I did that because I live in that role. I play out the scapegoat role or I play out the victim role or I play out the superhero or the superwoman or the, the runaway or the Peter Pan or the whatever role that it is that I'm playing. It's what I identified with to survive. And I've got this habitual knee-jerk response to life that says, oh, I have to do that again now. So I do what I've always done that matches my identity. Oh, that's why I did that. Okay, well, there I am doing that again. Okay, yeah, I see. I, I sort of got trained into that, and now I can say, okay, I'm going to make a different choice. That's done without criticism. That's done without saying how stupid and what a failure I am. So many people come to see me who are thinking about the possibility of getting a divorce, and they've been married to somebody they don't love and has been, who has been cruel to them. Uh, in some cases, and um, they they think that well, the reason I can't leave. So I ask them, well, why are you staying? And they say, well, because I don't want to be a failure. That has everything to do with shame and identity. It has nothing to do with the realities of their lives. They're not making choices out of compassion. They're making choices out of an idea of themselves that is, I am a failure if. And those, that kind of thinking only increases our shame. So in order to get past shame, we have to have the courage to have compassion on ourselves. We have to rethink this whole idea of what it is to be, uh, to be within ourselves and talking, engaging with ourselves. Typically that's thought of as selfish. Just the very idea of even thinking about yourself for very long is considered to be selfish. Um, you know, um, Dar Williams does a song about her therapist where she says um, her friends make fun of her for going therapy because therapists make you selfish. <laughs> um, you know, AA talks about working a selfish program. Um, and what they mean by that is take care of yourself. But it's typically so thought of as selfish that we just go ahead and, and the people in AA just go ahead and call it selfish. 
Now, I'm not in recovery, but one of the things that happens in these recovery programs very often is to to uh, they go in and they sit down in the group and they say, hello, my name is Andrea and I'm a whatever. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a whatever. And that I am becomes an identity. That's who I am. And it's so filled with a history of shameful things that it's so hard for them to come back up from that. My recommendation to AA and, and support groups like that would be stop saying I am an addict, an alcoholic. Start saying I have the disease of alcoholism or addiction because that's something you can do something about. Who you are just feels like it's just laden with all this ugh, shame. So shame is everywhere. And in order for us to not get it on us and not stick to its walls – we have to begin to be courageous enough to have compassion on ourselves. And compassion on ourselves is not self-pity. It's about a new way of talking with ourselves, not faking it, not pretending, but really talking to ourselves as if we really uh, do understand why we do what we do. Okay, so that's the answer. How we get past shame is we have compassion. And actually... Sh- Compassion can be a better motivator than shame. We can begin to act out our lives based on compassion for ourselves and for other people instead of guilt, instead of you should, instead of you ought to. Compassion is enough all by itself. And we're going to be talking about that same topic some more next week, how we can live in heaven now by getting past some of these barriers that keep us from doing that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.